Main Quad, Notre Dame campus. This is the heart of the university, anchored by three of its most famous buildings. On either side are Washington Hall and the Basilica of the Sacred Heart, whose bells keep the rhythm of campus. In the center, of course, is the main building, its golden dome one of the most recognizable landmarks in higher education. The main building is at the center of many traditions as well. Among the most famous of those involves the steps. After commencement, newly minted graduates form a long line to scale the steps for the first time. You see, there's an unwritten rule against doing so as an undergrad. The tradition is said to date back to the time of university founder Father Edward Soren and 19th century smoking rituals. Yeah, smoking. You see, only after students had earned their degrees would they be deemed worthy to scale the steps and have a smoke with the faculty on the front porch. Of course, this commencement weekend will be different. As graduates remain at their homes across the country and around the world amid the coronavirus pandemic, the university is holding an online degree conferral ceremony. A more traditional commencement celebration is planned for 2021. And that brings us right back to the main building. Because the class of 2020 shares something in common with the class of 1879. Most who know the university know the story well. In April of 1879, a fire broke out. It destroyed what was then the main building and four other structures around it. A devastating blow for a fledgling university. Father Corby, who was the university president at the time, was the first to vow to rebuild, and quickly. That was all well and good, but in the meantime, the university community had to decide what to do about the seniors who were set to graduate. The day after the fire, a quick commencement ceremony was held, and everyone was sent home. And that, in turn, puts us back to considering today's graduating seniors. Brady. Hey, Mr. Fuller. Good to be speaking with you. Please call me Andy. Brady Stiller is the top of the class of 2020, the valedictorian. He spoke to us from his home outside New Orleans about his Notre Dame journey and this incredible moment. It's an amazing story, even just how I ended up at Notre Dame. So I was a senior in college, looking at many schools during the long college search, and I was looking at a lot of Southern universities. I wasn't really thinking of venturing out too far. One thing that I was really looking for in a college was a Catholic university, but it was starting to become clear that that wouldn't really be financially possible for me. So some of the options started to dwindle down to the local state public universities in the neighboring Southern states. So that's overall what my, my college search was looking like. And 
all of a sudden at the beginning of senior year, I, I think this is all providential and I use that word very intentionally. My mother had felt like she had heard whisper to her South Bend, Indiana, and she'd asked me what that meant. And I'll be honest, I did not know what that meant at all, <laughs> what that was referring to. She didn't know either. So we looked it up and found out that that's where the University of Notre Dame is located. <laughs> so that was a surprise to us both. Hmm. So she felt because of that, that I should start looking into applying to Notre Dame. And this was bizarre for me to, to be applying to Notre Dame. It felt far out of our reach, both academically and financially. I thought there was no way. But it turned out at the end of my senior year, I was getting pretty close to going to a Southern State University. And we visited Notre Dame's campus for the first time, saw the Golden Dome at night, driving to campus, glowing. And we had a nice uh, few days there on campus. And this was me about to graduate from my high school, not knowing where I would go. And I let my parents make the decision. I told them, you know what is possible for our family. You know what is best for us. And they said, Brady, we think you should come here. So we committed at the end of my senior year of high school, and it's been a blessing ever since. Hmm. So faith, a major part of your decision, and it's a major part, I think, for a lot of students who, who choose Notre Dame. Uh, and that helps to explain a little bit why uh, one of your majors was theology. The biological sciences, though, was that always something you were kind of interested in high school or what uh, what made you decide on that as well? Both biology and theology mean so much to me, and I love them both equally, and I'm grateful that I had four years to study both of them. So both of them became a great interest of mine in high school. I loved my biology courses, and that was a first sign that I should major in that in college. But also... Being at a Catholic university now, I had the privilege to study theology, especially with one of the best theology departments in the country. I had benefited a lot from many high school theology classes, and it was a given that I would try to do both in college. The purpose of studying biology, in addition to just loving the sciences, I was interested in healthcare for many years, and in many ways I still am. But there came a year I think it was junior year at Notre Dame, a lot of my friends were beginning to study for the MCAT. And that was the question in my mind, do I commit financially and emotionally to this life path, whether it's studying for the MCAT, applying to medical school, going through interviews, having the 10 or so years of, of schooling and being in residency. So I saw that as a big decision. And I didn't think that ministry, which is something else I was thinking of doing, that ministry and medicine were mutually exclusive. But I realized that I had to make a decision between the two. Which should I pursue first? And that's when I sort of let go of the medicine path. And ever since then, I've been kind of picking up and building upon uh, this call that I felt in ministry for many years. But even then... I've been able to contribute to science. I've been in an ecology lab for three years and two summers. So I still see science as an everyday part of my life. 
we'll get to the ministry in a second, but I'm, I, I did want to ask you about London. I'm so grateful, looking back, that I had the chance to study abroad. I think that's something that most students look back gratefully upon. And it's funny that coming into college, that wasn't necessarily something that I felt like I needed to do. But as I learned about the many excellent programs that Notre Dame offers, I realized that that could be an important part of my experience. So in going to London, I had never been out of the country before. And so my world opened up. I think Mm. I saw more of the world than a lot of people see in just four months. Traveled to so many countries, all of the British Isles, maybe 15 cities in England in just four months. And a big part of that, of being in England in particular, was I just found out about this author, G.K. Chesterton, a semester before. Just the timing of it was amazing. And he became my favorite author immediately from that course the previous semester. But now I found myself in London on these streets that he roamed and and worked as a journalist. He lived in a village right outside of London. And it was one of my goals in my four months abroad to go see all of the Chesterton sites. Mm. Fortunately, I was able to fulfill this goal. I got to go to his village, his home where he lived, I got to visit his grave. I got to visit this special collection that was at University of Oxford. Actually, the same archive has been in this past year acquired by our our own university. It is now housed in the London Global Gateway. And when I was studying abroad in London, I didn't think in a year I'd be writing a thesis on Chesterton and using the same archive now in London. So it's amazing how those four months, in addition to opening up my world, helping, helping me to become a global citizen, how that all set up for a return to work with the archives in London. Mm. So as you mentioned, from here, uh, you are entering the priesthood. How did you discern that? This all began during my high school years at Jesuit High School in New Orleans, And the Jesuit priests there would make a presence among the students. They were there to talk with us between classes. And this was a time of my life where I had a lot of big questions about the world and about my own life and how all of these things fit together. And both through their Ignatian spirituality and through their lives as a model, they gave me a lot of answers that satisfied my questions that I had. And these Jesuit priests that I knew, they were the most joyful people that I had ever met up to that point. You could just tell they had this peace about who they were. They knew what their lives were about. And I wanted that deeply during that time. And I still do. You meant, you said um, there was a point at which you, you felt like you maybe need to decide which to pursue first, um, medicine or ministry. Choosing ministry now, um, does medicine play in at some point down the road, or, or what do you think about that? I think that's a question that I'm living into every day of what that will look like. I think there are examples of priests who are both. We see Father Foster, a Holy Cross priest who is a doctor also, and a lot of it does depend on the timing, but that was the question that I was bringing up junior year of 
am I going to go to medical school and then seminary? I just realized that was a lot of time. I realized that I kind of needed to choose one, at least in the short term. And this felt like a right decision to continue pursuing this deep longing, this deep inner conviction about myself. And even just the thesis, which I wrote the next year, the senior year about vocation and that being all of my deepest convictions from the past six years welling up and taking form into this thesis. I felt like this was heavy on my heart and that I needed to pursue this immediately. Although I think committing to the Jesuits, if that's what happens for my life in the future, that is to commit to being in the world in a sense, to further studies. I can see myself definitely doing further studies in theology and philosophy. That's a given. But in terms of science, that's also a possibility. Whether I will be in the classroom of a high school or college teaching science, I've loved research. I've done it for the past three years, and I, I love that type of inquiry. I think also medical ethics are are really important in this time, especially with the field of genetics developing a lot. There's a lot of ethical questions that that arise with the developments in science. So I see this as not leaving medicine behind and biology behind, but maybe putting it on the back burner for a little bit and seeing when it'll pop back up more concretely. In this moment, the Notre Dame experience for graduating students is marked by upheaval. We'll discuss that with Brady after the break. With a Side of Knowledge is a podcast from Notre Dame that embodies a simple guiding principle. Everything's better with brunch. Our show features informal conversations between host Ted Fox, that's me, in all manner of scholars, makers, and professionals from both the university and elsewhere. We record each episode over a meal or coffee, ambient noise and all. You can find With a Side of Knowledge at provost.nd.edu slash podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, it's it's difficult to mention um, this year and especially this academic year without talking about the, kind of the massive disruption <laughs> caused by COVID nineteen. Um, what were some of your initial thoughts as you saw some of these announcements being handed to you via email or, or whatever channel? Um, as you started to read this, did it come as a surprise? Did you think this was kind of the way things were going? What what did you make of it? I think it was a great surprise at first and just one surprise after another. The way that I've been making sense of this time personally, and I think this would apply to many of my classmates, I talk about this as a season of losses. That's just what it is. And it's something that we can try to run away from, but that's just the reality that that it's been. It's a time of slowing down, of maybe letting doors close, but that's okay. That's okay to live into, but it was the first announcement that we got 
saying that we wouldn't return for at least a few weeks. Maybe we would have the chance to return to campus for, for the last few days of senior year and then commencement. I think we were all a little sad about that, but we knew that we still could return in a few weeks, even though we were losing a few weeks of our senior year. I think what shocked me about that news was that just a few weeks ago in my one of my science courses, we were tracking the numbers of COVID-19 in China. And the numbers were relatively low. Not many countries around the world were experiencing it quite yet. And we never would have thought America would have developed uh, with what it looks like today. The whole country shut down, the whole world shut down. Would have never seen that coming and in, in taking away the last few weeks on campus of our senior year. Hmm. And we got the next, the next installment of news that we wouldn't be returning at all, but possibly for commencement. This was another round of sadness because what this meant was that my six man and I and Dunn, our days of living together were over. And I could tell that that was weighing on us all, but at least we'd see each other for commencement. And then we got the news that commencement would be virtual. And that was crushing. Even if it was an important and necessary decision by the administration, I think that was the right one to make. And for so many reasons, that's crushing. And I saw many stages of grief on display in my fellow classmates and even in myself. There was a shock that four years, four blessed years at Notre Dame could end like this, just a lack of closure, not having commencement at the end of it, which was something that all of us, whether we've been Notre Dame fans our whole lives or not, we've been looking forward to this day. It's the culmination of it all. Just not having that that sense of closure and celebration. I, I think there was also just anger and frustration that these uncontrollable circumstances could do this to us. But I've also seen leaders in my class step up and They've been integral in talking with the administration. I'm proud of both the class leaders and the administration for advocating for a traditional commencement next year. And even though that's a long ways away, I think all of our waiting and hoping will pay off and that will be a glorious time together in a year. I've definitely felt the distance of not being all on campus together. There have been a lot of friends that maybe I've just lost touch with for a little bit. I think we're all just spread across the country and the world right now, maybe in different communities. We're with our families, just trying to make sense of what is going on right now. That being said, a lot of things have continued with the classes being pretty regular how uh, the professors have done a good job adjusting, but also other groups that I've been a part of. So I was supposed to do Vision 2020 this summer, and we've been meeting weekly for reflection over Zoom. And that has been an avenue for gathering in prayer and talking about the situation, which naturally comes up in our conversations of, of how is God at work in this? You are the valedictorian of a unique class in 
Notre Dame history. Have you thought about it in that way? It's funny that you put it in that way because that's the first thing I realized when I was invited to compose an address for my class. I realized immediately this year is like no other year. And although commencement is traditionally a time of celebration, I was watching some of the previous commencement addresses and listening to those and uh, beautifully composed and delivered and just full of celebration in the culmination of four years. I realized that in composing an address, it would have to be that. It would have to be joyous and celebratory, but we couldn't ignore the elephant in the room. There, There is something that is lingering. It'll still be with us mid-May when we have our virtual ceremony. It'll still be weighing on our hearts and affecting our experiences, whether that's economic impacts, um, family impacts. The impacts will be lasting months and years, and we'll be having memories of this. So I realized that this is a unique year, a unique class. But I also realized that we're unique in that we had this special connection with another class in Notre Dame's history. We're part of this long, old story, one of hope. And the class of 1879, as Father Jenkins had rightly connected our class to a few weeks ago, the class of 1879 had to be sent home April of their year. There were seniors in that class with their campus in ashes because of the great fire of Notre Dame. Nearly all of their campus burnt down. And I realized one thing, both the class of 2020 and the class of 1879 have been sent home at at the end of their senior year. And we're both defined by a crisis that's unavoidable. I think both of these years, 2020 and 1879 will evoke forever the memory of a destructive fire and a pandemic. But we also have the precedent of the class of 1879, which which decided that they would not be defined only by a crisis. They decided that they would be defined by their heroic decisions and their hope that they had in the midst of that crisis. And so I've been reflecting a lot on that history and that story of how Father Soren came to camp, campus days after the great fire. And he looked around, embers still hot, everything in ashes. And he said, I will not give up. We will rebuild it bigger and better than ever. And immediately everyone started working long days, making millions of bricks from the mud of the, the lakes on campus. And I saw in that a precedent and a model that we have to follow because we're part of that same story. We're defined by a crisis, just like the class of 1879, but we can also be defined by making the most of the opportunity before us. Did we just get a preview of your 2021 address? You did. <laughs> That's right. Well, you've got a little time to work on it, uh, but it's, it's coming along very nicely, I, mu- I must say. What uh, you mentioned, this is a, a season of losses, and I think that's that's uh, an appropriate and a, 
an eloquent term. What brings a smile to your face during this season? There have been a few other times in my life like this, and these have been the hardest times in my life, but they've also taught me the most. One example is in 2005, when my family's home was flooded by Hurricane Katrina, living in a suburb of New Orleans. And we couldn't pretend to be happy in the aftermath of this crisis. I think to be happy in the aftermath would be wrong. And it took us at least a year, many years, to process how this could happen to us, what this meant for our past, which was now a whole chapter that is violently ended, and what this meant for our future, financially and in other areas. So I see that connection between our time going through Hurricane Katrina and also what we're going through now as parallel experiences. And I feel a lot stronger because of what I went through back when I was seven years old. And I've also let those things be taken away. The circumstances are uncontrollable and that will happen many times in our lives where we can try to control things, but it's really out of our hands. And so I know that with God, the best is yet to come. And for every door that has been closed, I've trusted that if all of these doors are being closed, there's a door that's about to open to something amazing. And that's the hope that I've been holding on to. We must take the circumstances in our country and the world as they are. Um, There is an element of we need to let go. And we need to let it be what it is. We can't restore our commencement this year. That's something we can't go back on. We can't restore the weeks of senior year that have been taken away. But I think there are models out there for us. I think one great model for us being being, uh, the Fighting Irish is seeing the class of 1879 and how they fought and how they made the most of the opportunity in the midst of crisis. So I think it's a both and we need to maybe let go of the things that we can control, not let that cause any more anxiety in this time, but also to look forward to what are the things that we can do? What are the things that we can let go of so that we can get into the dirtiness of of the, the situations around us to go out in heroes and not just hitting ourselves in these times? Brady Stiller, congratulations. Thank you very much for for joining us. It was a pleasure to speak with you. The best part of that story of the Great Fire of 1879 is what we know only in hindsight. Father Soren famously said, as soon as the bricks cool, We'll build it bigger and better. And they did, in time for classes in the fall of that year. About three years later, the Statue of Mary was added atop the Golden Dome. From there, Notre Dame's trajectory was set, not without trials, not without lean years, 
but there was never any doubt about the fight in the Irish. Maybe those lessons of resolve can keep Irish eyes smiling through this time. Thank you for listening to Covering Coronavirus and to Season 2 of Notre Dame Stories. I'm your host, Andy Fuller. We plan to be back when the academic year resumes in the fall, but be watching for special episodes until then. We leave you once again with When Irish Eyes Are Smiling, arranged and performed by another graduating senior, David Tran. <laughs>